The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the pilots and the flight attendants, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called Conga Line. Because <laughs> at the end of this episode, I have a funny story about a Somali conga line. <laughs> Those things don't seem to go together. Somali conga line. So the rest of the episode is full of things that sort of don't go together. Sort of, you know, in order to get in a conga line, you either have to be in a very silly mood or have had a few drinks because, you know, you just don't see business people in a conga line. <laughs> so the stories we have in this episode are sort of about being gullible and silly, maybe slightly off kilter. There's a couple shady misfit type stories, some crabs, <laughs> and not one, but two Doogie Hauser stories <laughs> before we get to the Somali conga line. <laughs> I know it all sounds a little strange, but it all does go together. Let's go ahead and get in that conga line. <laughs> and and like I say, I'm not real sure on all the facts on this, but uh, it was either the guy was getting divorced or he had a had a shady business deal that somebody was suing him or something, you know, type thing. So he's finishing a trip, and uh, they're pulling up to the gate, and the secretary who likes this co-pilot, she calls him, before, you know, and gets the dispatcher to send him a message en route that the sheriff is there at the gate waiting on him to summons him for this court case. And uh, he gets the message, and this was on the 727. So they pull into the gate, and he goes down the back stairs, and this was back when we had the parking lot, it was right across from the from the from where we parked. You could just walk over there. He walks across the parking lot, gets in his car and drives away, and the sheriff, you know, was waiting there at the gate for him. Evaded that situation, yeah, but I'm sure they finally sure they served him, yeah. 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 All good pilots get served. All good pilots get served. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I'm flying the other day and when I'm backing up the cart, you know, we can't see behind us. There's always arms and legs and elbows and toes and the aisle. And you don't want to hit anybody with the big heavy cart. So main, mainly I used to say, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart. I sound like a recording a tram car but I don't care I just don't want to hit anyone <laughs> the other day there's two of us pushing it up and this other girl I had a much better way of doing it <laughs> she'd say watch your knees watch your elbows watch your toes please don't run my pantyhose watch your knees watch your elbows watch your toes please don't run my pantyhose the whole way up the aisle <laughs> I thought it was great. I kind of also would like to get a recording of just the backup truck beep you know beep beep beep, beep. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to keep sounding like a tram car. But I really did like that. Watch your elbows, watch your toes. Please don't run my pantyhose. 
Engineer 727. We're flying from Anchorage to Salt Lake City, and Salt Lake is socked in, so we had to divert into Idaho Falls. So we pull in, we get gas, and uh, we're trying to expedite, be ready as soon as Salt Lake opens, and it's beautiful there. I mean, we've got the door open, the sun is shining. It's a little cool, but it's not bad, and I, I'm the new hire engineer, so I tell the captain, uh, hey, I'll go in the back and just talk to the folks and make sure everything's okay. So I'm at the forward galley, and passengers are all gathered around, just a real nice bunch. And one guy hadn't said anything, and all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, you guys make a lot of money, don't you? And I said, well, some of us make more than others, but, yeah, I think it's deserved. And he goes, no, don't you think it's a bit too much? And I, I was on probation, so I could look at it. Sir, I just left the military. I took a pay cut to come here. He goes, well, not you. You're just the engineer. But that captain, he probably makes too much money. I go, well, no, sir. He really earns that money. He's, And I went to, okay, so I'm talking to this passenger, and he's just real adamant about how the pilots make too much money. And I thought... If I'm going to have an argument with this guy, I need a point of reference. So I go, well, sir, what do you do for a living? And he goes, well, I'm a lawyer. And those are the last words out of his mouth because every passenger around him goes, you're a lawyer and you think that captain makes that much money? You're crazy. I want to see. I mean, they attacked him so much. I mean, people were upset at him. They were mad where he could not get another word edgewise to the point where he just turned around, went back, sat in the seat. And when he left, everybody's going, the goal of the man, the goal of the man. <laughs> so this pilot was telling me about another pilot about 10 years ago. The mandatory age for pilots forever has been 60. It's recently been upped, but it was always 60. And this pilot was approaching 60, and he had this bright idea because he had a girlfriend in another city and a wife at home, and he decided he wasn't going to tell his wife he was retiring. (laughs) So for a whole year, a whole year, this pilot put on his uniform, packed his suitcase, kissed the wife as he went off to work, (laughs) flew to the other city, saw the girlfriend, came back, told the wife all about his trip, (laughs) and he, it it was working for him. It's amazing. But, uh, about a year after this was going on, the wife went to lunch with a bunch of women, and one of the women said, oh, so how's Bob liking retirement? And the wife was like, Bob's not retired. She's like, um, how how old is Bob? She's like, 61. She's like, well, you know, all pilots have to retire by 60. He's retired. <laughs> Amazing, it got away with it that long, but that was the end of the wife. Not sure about the girlfriend. Okay, you'll t- make my day if you tell me a story. I'll, ta- I'll, I'll be glad to tell you one of my Miami stories about one of our pilots down there. Nobody liked this guy. He was a, a misfit. But, uh, but so, uh, and he's always, uh, you know, coming at guys, wanting favors, this, that, and the other. And everybody's turning him down. And one of, another one of our guys actually owned an airplane, a uh, you know, a civilian little, uh, yeah, right. But it wasn't that little. It was a twin engine, so it was a nice, you know, a nice civilian airplane. And this guy nobody likes keeps keeps hitting him up. Says, "Let me borrow your airplane. Let me borrow your, airpl- your airplane." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let me borrow your airplane. And uh, and he finally came. This is from, from Miami, and he wants to. He tells the guy. 
he wants to fly to Jacksonville, Florida to see his mother or somebody, you know, I don't know what he wanted to do, but the guy finally gives in and says, okay. He lets him he let, his plane. lets him borrow his airplane. So the guy takes off from Miami. Instead of turning left to go to Jacksonville, he hangs a right turn, ends up in Columbia, South America. Drug smuggling. Oh my gosh. The, the Colombian police confiscate the, the airplane. The airplane. <laughs> so, and he's lucky to get out of the country. I don't know how he works himself out of the country, but he leaves the airplane down there with the Colombians. Never got it back. He never got it back. Never got the plane back. Yeah, but how do you? How, how did he make it up to him? I don't think he did. He was that kind of guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, he just lost his plane. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. guess the moral of the story is don't lend out your airplane. To jerks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I live here in Los Angeles, and uh, one of the interesting parts of LA is Venice Beach. It's kind of a famous, almost like an outdoor circus. There's always a lot of strange people roaming around Venice Beach, but um, it's actually also a very nice part of town. We were walking up and down Abbott Kinney, which is a nice street, lots of shops and restaurants in Venice. I was walking with a few friends, and uh, we saw this store that uh, none of us had ever seen before. It looked new, and it said, Global Herbal Medicine. I thought, wonder what that is so we go in there and all three of us are looking around there were lotions lots of herbs and um all kinds of things but I was just kind of confused as to really what kind of store it was and they also had food items they had chocolate and rice crispy treats and there was gelato and I'm looking at the gelato and it says um enhanced gelato and you know I am blonde and I say to the woman I said, what, what is the gelato enhanced with? Because I was thinking, is it protein, vitamins, antioxidants, something like that? And she said, cannabis. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's a pot store. <laughs> and then I'm looking around and I'm thinking, hello, there's like pictures of... <laughs> all kinds of people that are associated with pot there's pictures of pot plants I don't know I guess I just you know being in the United States don't expect to walk into a pot store but here in California marijuana is legal if you have a prescription and I guess enough people have prescriptions that there's enough need to have a store with many different types of pot (laughs) and pot enhanced gelato and my friend goes I guess we should have figured it out when the Rice Krispie treats were green Bangor, Maine, the bar at the Holiday Inn there was the best bar in the whole system because we had the Monarch flight attendants. I don't know if you remember that, a British charter airline. And there was always 20 flight attendants down there that were just, they had nothing to do but drink, smoke, I think. And they were a ton of fun. One day, the captain, anyway, we're sitting at the bar drinking, and we noticed that along with the Monarch flight attendants, there's a crowd of maybe 20 or 30 young girls young like 14 maybe something in the bar and we kind of said that's out of place and didn't pay much attention to it so pretty soon one of these girls comes over to my captain 
and says, Sir, and she has an Eastern European accent, she says, Sir, do you have a room in this hotel? And, and we both go and like that, surprised, and he says, Yes. And, and she goes, Does it have double beds? And he's going, Yes. And, and uh, she, goes, she goes, Sir, she goes, I will do anything to sleep in your other bed. Anything. And, and I'm going, don't do it. This is a bad idea. Bad idea. This is a bad idea. And, he, and, and so the story eventually is, is that this is, this is a crowd of like 40 girls, and they were Lithuanian or Estonian or something, figure skating team here in the States, and they put them everywhere, every stop they make, they put them in two hotel rooms, 40 girls in these two hotel rooms. And this girl says, I haven't slept in three weeks. She goes, and she says it again. She goes, I will do anything to sleep in your other bed. And so he finally says, all right, takes her up, shows her the room, comes back to the bar. And the whole time I'm shaking my head thinking, boy, what an idiot. He's going to get robbed. He's going to get accused of something bad, you know. But uh, he came back down and he said, "He said she, she, I wasn't even out of the room before that girl was asleep on that bed. And then... Uh, so he gets up the next day, he, she never moves, packs up, dresses, leaves, and she never moved the whole time. And that was it. That's the whole story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So strangely enough, I have two Doogie Hauser stories. Uh, Doogie Hauser was the child genius doctor played by Neil Patrick Harris, the actor who's now on uh, How I Met Your Mother. Very talented, very nice man. So way back when, when I was dating my old boyfriend, who was an actor, he was in a play with Neil Patrick Harris and Doogie, it's just fun to call him that, (laughs) invited everybody from the play and their significant others to his house for a potluck dinner party. So that was very nice. And my old boyfriend decided we would make lime chicken. We went up. He lived in this really nice building here, and they had a uh, rooftop terrace that looked out over L.A. So we went up to the balcony. It was a very sunny day in Los Angeles, and we made lime chicken. I squeezed all these limes, and we made a lot of chicken because we were taking it to a party. And uh, we went to Doogie's house, had a very nice evening, and we played charades. It was very fun. And um, you think that's that, right? So like uh, three weeks later, a month later, I noticed these dark spots on my hands, like like some sort of rash, and it's getting worse and worse, and every day it's getting darker and darker, and I was thinking, oh, <laughs> I thought I was getting some sort of disease, something like the Michael Jackson thing in reverse, you know, vitiligo, where people get white, turn white, because <laughs> they lose the pigment. I thought I was turning black. <laughs> so I go to the dermatologist, very concerned, and the dermatologist laughed at me which I thought was strange, um, not very professional. And I was like, what is it? You know, I, I don't want it to go all over my body. And he's like, have you been using limes out in the sun to make margaritas laying out in the sun? I'm like, no, nothing was coming to my mind. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, every year it's, he said, you know, lemon in the sun bleaches and lime stains. And he said every year he sees people in the summer with big handprints on their back if they've been having margaritas or they'll have been making margaritas and then they'll put sunscreen on their legs and they'll end up with like stripes. (laughs) And then it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, Doogie Hauser. He's like, what? I'm like, oh, I went to Doogie Hauser's house and we made this lime chicken out in the sun. That must be it. So then I got a cream. Everything was fine. Now, flash forward to present day. The other day in uh, Orlando, 
we see on the pre-departure that Neil Patrick Harris is going to be on the flight. And I wasn't going to say anything to him or anything because, you know, it was many years ago. I was just one person at a party. I'm sure he doesn't remember me. And um, the gate agent comes on and I ask him, I said, um, is this the real Neil Patrick Harris? You know, because someone else could have that name. And he said, who's Neil Patrick Harris? I'm like, you know, Doogie Hauser. And he goes, oh, one of the other agents said Doogie Hauser was going to be on board. And he goes, I pulled it up and I couldn't find any record for a Doogie Hauser. <laughs> he had looked up in our airline's record to see if Doogie Hauser was going to be on our flight that day. <laughs> so obviously, he never watched Doogie Hauser and he didn't know who Neil Patrick Harris was. And I'm like, no, you can't find his record. That's the name of the character. When I first started flying about in the 70s, the early 70s, we had to share rooms. And I was with a flight attendant, rooming with her, and she had set three alarm clocks. Tick, tick, tick. Well, I can't even stand any kind of noise whatsoever. I thought that I would dull the noise by wrapping the alarm clocks in little towels. Well, I could still hear the alarm clock. All the while she snored and I thought finally, oh, this is baloney. I'm not going to lose my sleep all night. So I just took them and I set them outside the door of the hotel. Well, the next morning they were gone. I was horrified about having to replace them. And I just said I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know where they went, what alarm clocks. Oh, uh, I call it the kosher meal event. About 20 years ago, back when we served food on our flights, I had a passenger who had ordered a kosher meal. And we know to take great care and not to touch anything, don't remove the packaging. So I delivered this man his meal, and he had just gotten in a bad skiing accident and two broken arms. So he asked me to unwrap the kosher meal. And myself having oodles of Catholic guilt that I might burn in hell if I touch his, cat, his kosher meal. And he was laughing because he's got bigger Jewish guilt than my Catholic guilt. And he goes, no, it's okay. I give you permission to unwrap my kosher meal. You're not blessed. I know. <laughs> so, so we kind of laughed about it. We schmoozed throughout the flight. And he asked me out. And we had a great date. And we had something kind of in common. The guilt factor. <laughs> Well, the air traffic controller gave British Airways a crossing restriction in front of us, and he said, cross Canuck at 14,250 knots. Will you be able to make the crossing restriction? And British accent comes on, and he goes, well, sir, I could make the crossing restriction, but the airplane I'm flying won't. <laughs> Implying he's going to jump, <laughs> he could jump out of the airplane to make it. She was saying a man boarded the airplane in New Orleans on a flight to New York, and he had a box of frozen crabs. And a blonde flight attendant took the crabs and promised to put them in the crew's uh, freezer, which she did. But the man was just 
grumpy and mean, and he firmly advised her that he was holding her personally responsible for those crabs staying frozen. And he, he was ranting and raving about what would happen if she let them thaw out. Well, you know, she was kind of annoyed by his behavior. So right before landing in New York, she got on the PA and announced to the whole cabin, uh, would the gentleman who gave me crabs in New Orleans please raise your hand? <laughs> Not one hand went up. <laughs> so she took the crabs home, ate them herself. And you know what? Men never learn. Blondes just aren't as dumb as most people think. I was flying with the uh, 815th Airlift Squadron out of Keesler. We went over to do the Somali, Somalia airlift. Well, we were uh, stationed in Kenya operating out of Mombasa. What we would do is we would fly up and uh, land it. We were landing on... Uh, open fields, uh, riverbeds, anywhere we could put a plane down, we'd land. And uh, whenever you'd land, we'd have 25, 30,000 pounds of food and medicine on board. They would, the Somalis would come out in these big trucks and they would back up to the back of the airplane. And about 20 of these Somalis would come on board and they would offload 25, 30,000 pounds of food and medicine in less than half an hour. And these guys, I mean, they maybe weighed 100 pounds. Oh, they were little guys. But they were chewing this stick, and it's a narcotic. What is it? Uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's just it's a stick that they chew on, and it, it makes them high. The thing is, when we'd come in there, it was everybody was hostile. You didn't know what was going on. You'd land, and there'd be people walking around with automatic weapons. Those, uh, remember those old uh, Jeeps out of the, uh, the Rat Pack, that old... Yeah, remember that one? Oh yeah, machine guns, recoilless rifles. I mean, there was there was guns everywhere. So we never shut our engines down, and me and the co-pilot always stayed up in the we stayed up in the seats, scanning to see if anybody's going to start shooting. And then these guys, these guys. Oh yeah. Well, you've got we had two loadmasters in the back, but and they're on intercom. Yeah. But uh, they're on a long cord, but because of all the activity in the back. They would come off the intercom so they could help on do the offload. So the navigator would go down to the bottom of the steps and watch the back. And my navigator was a girl. And uh, her real name was Jacqueline. But her nickname was Pebbles. And Pebbles went, uh, I think, uh, Florida. Pebbles could dance. In fact, that's kind of how Pebbles made it to school. She was a, she's a dancer. Pebbles was just always giving us like a running description, you know, what they were doing back there. You, they'd sing. You could hear them. And uh, a herc is noisy. I mean, real noisy. And we could, you could hear them singing over the sound of the motors. We were, <laughs> so we were up there one day, and uh, we were offloading, and Pebbles is down in the back. And, uh, of course, I mean, the co-pilot, it's about bug-eyed because we're just waiting for somebody to start shooting. So we're scared half to death. And uh, the Herc weighed about 130,000 pounds. And uh, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the plane started swaying back and forth. Uh, the whole plane was moving. And I'm looking around going, what the hell is going on? Well, I hear my loadmaster click back into the intercom, and he's laughing so hard he can't hardly talk. He said, Rick, you're not going to believe this. He said, Pebbles is back here leading a conga line. <laughs> The guys were chanting, and Pebbles was like, you know, the old Dick Clark show, hey, got a good beat. You could, and so she started dancing. 
And when she started dancing, all the Somalis stopped offloading the plane and started following her around the back of my plane. So here we are in the middle of Somalia, you know, guns and weapons everywhere, and I've got a dance party going on in my cargo bay. It was the funniest. It was. It was the funniest thing. Oh, my God. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you enjoyed the conga line of stories. <laughs> and I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye. Bye.